0: Hello, and welcome to the PetroNerds podcast. My name is Trisha Curtis, and I will be your host for this podcast and many others to follow. Today, we're going to talk about fourth quarter earnings. We'll do a very quick wrap-up, and then we're going to dive into one one of my favorite basins and plays, the Powder River Basin in Wyoming. Okay, so if we look at what sort of happened in the fourth quarter, it wasn't a bloodbath. Some of the big themes, though, were share buybacks, um, especially if you, if you look to Anadarko Um, the continuation for several operators on um, share buybacks and initiating share buybacks. Devon, which we'll talk about shortly with regards to the Powder River Basin, they actually um, opened up their call um, at the end of February and said they weren't doing a share buyback, but that if they did, their stock would be pumped up. Um, And then shortly after that, I think March 7th, they came out and said that they were doing a share buyback and initiated a, a free cash flow, neutral program, et cetera, or getting to free cash flow positive. So we can see that that theme has um, the free cash flow story has sort of um, continued. But the share buybacks has been big for some of the larger operators. Dividends, both the initiation of dividends and increasing has been big. We saw this with Cimarex and Diamondback. Uh, we saw EOG increase their dividend as well. And then when we, we saw the growth, we did see some pretty big fourth quarter gains in production growth. Now, from the operators that we're covering through Hedgeware, the 41 operators, we saw some pretty substantial gains. So from about 3.2, just over 3.2 million barrels per day for these 41 operators that we cover, that's what they were producing in the third quarter for oil, and that went up to 3.5 million barrels per day in the fourth quarter. So free cash flow also continued to be a big theme uh, we saw several several companies that were reducing debt with free cash flow um, and divestitures. Continental was one of them. Devon's another. Whiting, um, RSPP I think is one as well. And as you know, SPP was just recently purchased by Con- Concho uh, re- Resources for a, a pretty sizable. Um, and hefty price. So free cash flow was still a big deal. We saw a, a lot of operators talk about becoming free cash flow neutral and free cash flow positive. Most of the ones that said they were going to be free cash flow neutral um, in the third quarter reiterated that again in the fourth quarter and really stuck with that timeline. We saw some companies um, really do sort of, Noble talked about their sort of three-year timeline trajectory and um, a lot of companies differentiated which assets were cash flow positive now and which ones weren't and which ones they would be pushing for growth, etc. So that the verdict is still out a little bit on on exactly what the half of this year is going to look like in terms of if all these smaller companies are going hit, to hit their free cash flow targets uh, and what the rest of the industry will look like as a whole. I can tell you that for those 41 companies that we're covering, Um, the free cash flow situation did get better slightly. Um, It did sort of correspond to a reduction in capex as well. So capex was about 19 billion in the third quarter and that was reduced to 17.6 billion in the fourth quarter. And the negative free cash flow was about 4.7 billion in that third quarter and is just about 4.2 billion right now. So the negative free cash flow situation is improving. A lot of operators we cover in here actually have become free cash flow positive, but as a whole they're still negative in this conglomerate that we're covering. But part of the story and I think some of the investor scrutiny really came in on basically the growth side. Um, and then that coupled with sort of what the what the costs are or the costs were going to be um, in terms of this CapEx guidance for, for 2018. Um, and that came into what we we're talking about. We started hearing a lot about inflation costs, um, which got people a little bit worried. But if we back up for a second and just talk about growth, I thought the fourth quarter gains were pretty impressive. So we, I just told you what they were on our, our figures. And so we had really strong production growth um whilst we also had a reduction in in capex spending and um a slight reduction um in the negative free cash flow so i thought that was positive i also was very impressed with some of the projections for 2018 um now i think the street for was a little bit disappointed with some of those projections mainly because of the the spend that was correlated with it and that a lot of operators um including eog talked about how a, a good chunk of that spending um and that increase in their their spending projections was due to pretty rough inflation that their headwinds that they're going to see over the course of 2018. And the fact that EOG stock was hit by that was a pretty big deal of that every every company was basically seeing um, inflationary pressures and obviously including EOG. Now, that being said, a lot of these operators, almost every operator in the Permian Basin that I listened to, their earnings call, talked about sourcing local sand. So if they haven't started sourcing local sand, they are now. That doesn't mean they're they're um, fracking all their wells with local sand, but it means that most of them have started it. And it's, it's something that they wanted to tell the street um, that's helping them reduce costs because they're getting the sand locally. Now... Remember that this um, the sand is largely hundred mesh. So the in basin sand in the Permian Basin is essentially most of these mines, based upon their geology, are like eighty percent hundred mesh and about twenty percent forty seventy. Either way you spin that, those are both really fine grains of sand. So if you're an operator, if these operators in the Permian Basin have not been using fine grain sand like hundred mesh before, they will be using it now. So um, if you're on the fence or, or have con- you know concerns about what hundred mesh does well for if it's good or if it's bad uh, look to the next couple quarters in the Permian Basin because a lot of these operators will be using 100 mesh with if they haven't before and then some analysts did seem a little bit concerned about the um, the growth projections for 2018 as I mentioned I thought they were pretty significant I thought a lot of these operators were, were giving some pretty high numbers now we'll see if they can hit that whilst maintaining this um, you know this pressure on you know reigning in uh, spending and trying to get free cash flow neutral and free cash flow positive so I think that's very important to watch I think you You really need to focus on, you know, the execution of these operators, Um, look at their management teams, look at how they're drilling these wells, look at how they're completing these wells, look at the actual performance and decline curves of these wells in a given quarter um, and see what these operators are actually delivering. I think the, you want to look for strong companies that um, even if they're not free cash flow positive, if they have, if they're telling you they're going to get, going to get there and they have a sound story, I think you need to give them the benefit of the doubt right now. Okay. One of the other things that happened a lot, if you listen to a lot of calls, um, both within Operators on the Eagle Ford and particularly in the Permian Basin. There was a lot of talk about downspacing Now if you remember um, there were a few operators between I think Q3 and Q4 that got um, mentioned with regards to well spacing and Almost every operator in the Permian Basin has or used to have a slide within their slide deck that shows you sort of these well dots um, And these benches now part of it is they're obviously telling the street that they have multiple pay zones Stacked pay zones that they're delineating um, and that they have a lot of inventory under their belt It's a little tricky Because as we've seen operators do downspacing and put their wells closer together in the Permian Basin, um, some of the well results have not been super great. And we haven't seen massive amounts of, well, they are doing stacked pay zone and stacked benches. There hasn't been a massive amount of that done because so many operators are being really pushed to Holder Acreage, and there, there are very stringent leasing requirements in the Permian Basin. So a lot of this is, is what the operators are thinking and trying to do, and so they give you a, a trajectory or projection on these slides, and a lot of times these slides just you know, you see a reservoir, you see the reservoirs in the stratigraphic column and there's just a bunch of dots put in there. Some of the operators put the, the actual well spacing in between them and some of them don't. But we have seen some of these operators actually change that. Um, I believe Parsley actually took that slide out of their slide deck and I think a few others did. Because basically the verdict is just not out on how many wells they can put um, in a given reservoir and how, whether or not they're gonna wind rack them or not. And we need to give these operators a little bit of time because they need to figure this out. Now in other plays like the DJ Basin, we have historically seen a lot of that stacking a lot of that wine racking um, and a lot of that uh, where you, where you do 20 wells potentially at a time we're we're not there yet in the permian basin so we're going to it's going to take a little time to get there now so one of the biggest ones that we saw that was singled out was Carrizo they they discussed their um what their their well performance was in the Eagle Ford they talked about the drillable locations so there were there should be some concerns on drillable locations because they basically said they had 1700 wells um left to drill part of that was in the Delaware and part of that's in the Eagle Ford. Now in the Eagle Ford, they actually reduced um, the EURs or the estimated ultimate recovery of their wells. Basically, they they said their projections for EURs had been downgraded from 550,000 barrels to 500,000 barrels because of the sort of auditing that they had done on on the newer wells versus older wells. And um, so the thinking was that this was correlated to decreasing the, you know, they had decreased their well spacing, um, and, or the, and their wells hadn't performed. The trouble with this is that um, they kept saying in their call that they were going to sort of continue to decrease that that well spacing, um, and they also expected better performance. Now, I think what they were trying to get at was that they're changing their completion designs, they're monitoring this, um, and they do think they can put wells closer together, and they also hope to ov- obviously offset this reduction in these EURs. It, that, I think the street took that a little negatively, obviously, because if they had to reduce the, the EUR um, projections, um, given their their most recent wells, how did they expect to increase them going forward unless there was a substantial step change? And I think you could probably extrapolate that forward that maybe you might have a loss if you want to increase those EURs, um, then your drillable inventory actually might have to decrease in order to do that. Okay, so there's a lot to watch coming into the first quarter of 2018, and we will be keeping an eye on that. But now we're going to move into one of my favorite oil plays, the Powder River Basin in Wyoming. This is very near and dear to my heart because I, uh, I was raised um, on the border of Wyoming, Colorado, outside of Bags, Wyoming. We had a ranch, and I was born in, in Cheyenne, Wyoming. So um, without further ado, let's get into the meat of this. Powder River Basin is receiving increasing amount of attention. So I've heard more webinars, more analysts, more investors are starting to start asking questions about it and focus on it. To just give you an idea and a sense of this we're talking about an oil play that's producing 95,000 barrels a day of crude oil. The API gravity ranges quite a bit and this is a a relatively new horizontal oil play. So there are less than 1,500 horizontal wells um, in the Powder River Basin in Wyoming. So the but while the um, the data set is small um, theoretically the upside is very large because we just don't have that many horizontal wells in place And we're only looking when we're talking about operators and maybe the reason why if you haven't heard about it I don't don't know a whole lot about it it's probably because you only have a handful of some, A few big publicly traded companies, and then you have a bunch of smaller private companies that are that are in play here. EOG has a very large acreage position in the Powder River Basin, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts. When they purchased Yates Petroleum, largely obviously for their position in the Northern Delaware Basin in southern New Mexico, they got a ton of acreage um, in the Powder River Basin along with that with Yates. So EOG has a very sizable. Position They are doing quite a bit with that, which I'll get into shortly. Devon is another operator that has a very sizable position. We're talking um, around 400,000 acres that they have in the Powder River Basin. And Chesapeake also has, in sort of the southern portion of the play, they have a very sizable several hundred um, thousand acres as well. So all these operators have very large positions. But we have private companies like Anschutz, like Ballard, like Peak Powder. We have a lot of private equity money and interest that's funneled into the play in the past couple of years. Um, heard of SM sold off their um, their acreage recently. They just sold that to a private equity backed Northwoods, who is backed by Apollo. Uh, that is a uh, one of the. One of the big ones. Um, SM was also, if you remember, was uh, teamed up with Slumberger Was a lot of those wells before, and they just recently sold that. So Northwoods will be going to town on the acreage probably pretty soon. Hellas sold their acreage to Impact, um, which is another small firm that's backed by Quantum. They're based here in Denver. So you get the drift. There's a lot of private equity money into this play. Okay, so the question is why? Why do we have so much private equity money coming in? Um, and why don't we see other players? And why haven't we seen some bigger moves and some bigger plays? So, firstly, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the Permian is way too expensive. Um, it's very hard for companies to enter, and the enticement and attractiveness of the Permian Basin is obviously stacked pay zones. So, what the powder recently has to offer is that um, more and more of the stacked pay is being delineated. So, theoretically, there's like 5,000 feet um, of stacked pay with multiple formations. Now, you only have a handful of operators, so we haven't had a, a ton of tests doing that. What we have is 1,100 horizontal wells producing 65, or sorry, excuse me, 69,000 barrels per day in the Powder River Basin. So the bulk of the production um, of the entire basin of the 95,000 barrels a day is coming from 1,100 wells. So that bodes pretty well. The problem is a lot of these wells are extremely expensive. So we have seen, um, if you've ever seen break-even charts from different entities, you'll, if you've seen the Powder River on there, it's usually at the high end. There's been some recent break-even numbers, I think, from Chesapeake and EOG that have come in quite low. So I think those costs have been reduced. And that has a lot to do with sort of where they're at in the play what the completion design is um eog is in sort of a shallower portion of the play so um the depth of this play for a lot of these wells is extremely deep we're talking deeper than the Bakken so typically Bakken depth like 10,000 feet or over sometimes 11,000 feet or greater if you're doing obviously a long lateral you're looking at you know 2,000 or you're looking at two miles long so the the Expenses can really add up. And then we have higher temperatures sometimes and higher pressures. So bringing all that together, it can complicate your drilling process. And you really you really do need um, extremely sophisticated crack teams that are working on this on the technical side um, that can really execute on it. Okay, so if you remember some of the stuff I've done before, and the reason I get excited about some of these plays is because... I like to look at the decline curves and I like to look and see what the operators are doing and if they are changing the completions in a meaningful way that's improving the well results. And the one thing you can see, even if you're um, just for, for a rough decline curve in the Powder River Basin, is that it has increased in performance dramatically. Very similar to um, in this last year to the Bakken and actually the Eagle Ford. So if we look at the decline curve for the Powder River Basin, we can see pretty substantial increases in the in the past couple years. 2016 was extremely poor for the Powder River Basin basically everybody pulled out of the basin the the rig count dropped to nothing but 2017 was really big so our average well performance is average wells are iping 638 barrels per day that's about a 100 barrel a day increase over the over the year prior and actually the whole curve is up obviously as well the the horizontal laterals that we're talking about here do change dramatically from operator 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 so that's very important to pay attention to but if we look at what in the year prior 2016 well performance declined it was actually well under uh, a 2015 well performance because Um, so few wells were actually drilled and completed. And essentially, a lot of these operators, um, obviously the leasing requirements are not nearly as stringent as they are in the Permian Basin. And I'm not trying to rip on the Permian Basin. I'm just trying to give a perspective of... So in Wyoming, the permitting process is... um, Permitting is huge. So basically, everyone permits hundreds and hundreds of wells, and they hold those permits for up to two years. So the permitting has gone crazy in the past several years, and we started noticing massive permits by... Increases in permits by EOG... several years ago. Um, and those have only sort of continued. So basically you file the permits and you get them and then you hold the ability to drill that for two years in the future. So operators who are looking to sell are, are basically filing all these permits and then holding it. And if they sell the acreage off, uh, they can say, look, you can, whoever buys that, they'll be able to drill. And that's just different than in the Permian Basin where the leasing requirements is a lot more stringent. So In effect, you only had a handful of publicly traded operators, and you you didn't have a whole lot of operators in general. So it wasn't as though everyone has to hold their acre or drill to hold their acreage. So it's they can they can do it a lot slower in Wyoming, and that's basically what happened in the past couple years. Now, obviously, prices are well above sixty dollars a barrel, and this is boding extremely well for the Powder River Basin in terms of this uh, delineation mode. But let's get to the heart of the question. So, what is there? Um, what are these actual reservoirs, and why why are people sort of excited about it? Um, and why do I actually like it? Um, and as I mentioned too, obviously decline curves are great, but you have some <clears throat> some key reservoirs that are the Parkman, the Turner, um, and the Niobrara. And the Parkman and the Turner are um, a lot of production comes from. Or a lot of production comes from the Turner Formation. Turner and Parkman are both typically like conventional sandstones, whereas the Nibra is is more sort of the unconventional target in this play. Um, and as I mentioned to you before, there's only there's less than um, 1,500 horizontal wells. So when we're looking at this, we're talking about a couple hundred wells per reservoir that we actually know about. But what gets exciting is when you look at some of these well results from individual operators, um, particularly Devon last year, who had some very consistent well results um, in the Parkman formation that were very, very good. Now any skeptics are gonna be quick to jump in right now and say, oh my gosh, the well costs are just so high. I just want to remind people that the well costs in any play before it is truly developed and in sort of um, uh, full mode, you know, out and out, infill drilling and everything, well costs are really high. And if you look at older presentations from EOG, I mean, I believe some of those well costs in the Permian Basin were $15 a well, and that that might have been 2014 or 2015. Those were extremely high well costs, and those didn't come, come down um, until very recently. So a lot of these operators here, both private and public, are still spending quite a bit of money. Um, in terms of doing the science on these walls, and they need to because... This, um, these potentially multiple sack pay zones um, are just not well understood nearly enough. Okay, so to orient you a little bit more on sort of the size of this prize um, and thinking about, you know, the just over a thousand active wells, uh, horizontal wells that we have here, we can look at production profiles. So what are these individual formations producing and how many wells sort of contribute to this? And I can I can tell you in 2017, um, and it, the bulk of activity was concentrated around the Turner. We still see that being the focus. Um, you see Devon and Chesapeake, which we'll get into a second, really focusing on the Turner Formation because it's it's quite prolific um, and they're obviously seeing more repeatability Um, and it's something that they've said in the past and they're continuing with so in 2017 there were 60 wells targeting the Turner 21 in the Parkman 13 in the Frontier and just 12 in the Niobrara so we're talking about very small sample size we're looking at these wells but overall the Turner Formation obviously produces the bulk of this horizontal production of this 60,000 plus barrels a day of production so the Turner Formation produces 37,000 barrels a day of for horizontal wells in the powder, uh, with around 300 wells included in that. The Parkman is about 19,000 barrels a day and just about 250,000 wells included in that. The Niobrara Formation produces 6,400 barrels per day and about 200 plus wells are included in that. And then the Shannon... Um, obviously a lot less is 4,300 barrels per day and just 89 wells. The Sussex is just 100 wells and produces 5,000 barrels per day. And the Frontier produces 6,300 barrels per day and just 87 wells. So um, that's just sort of the orientation of how those reservoirs stack up right now in a production profile and why obviously the Turner is a target. Um, And last year we saw some very good wells in the Parkman. Okay, so you can see that obviously there, there's, there's production in these formations. And, and the Turners and Parkman are obviously of target and obviously the Niobrara because it's more of a, the unconventional play. But there's not a whole lot of wells. In terms of the acreage positions, uh, Devon has well over 400,000 acres, near nearly um, 500,000 acres in the Powder River Basin. EOG has roughly four, 400,000 acres. Anadarko has nearly 400,000 acres. Anschutz has uh, over, well over 300,000 acres. Chesapeake has around 300,000 acres. Uh, SM, which is now Northwoods, has had 150,000 acres. So these are um, pretty sizable acreage positions, and you have plenty of other folks like like Peak Powder, um, Ballard Gold, uh, ConocoPhillips,es and there are lots of other operators with slightly smaller positions. But basically, you don't have hundreds of operators in this play right now. So you have a handful of operators that are doing the the bulk of aggressive of aggressive activity. Now, for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to focus on those three major public operators, EOG, Devon, and Chesapeake. Now, EOG is sort of straddling Campbell and Converse County right in the middle of of both those areas. And their acreage tends to be, um, I mean, the depth of these formations tends to be shallower for them. So that helps reduce some of their well costs. Now, the fact that EOG is even in the powder is not so much a portion of the, obviously we talked about how they got the acreage through the Yates position, but how they actually discuss it now in their in their presentations, they talk about their premium locations and they list the powder for um, having 120 premium locations, 400,000 net acres. I mean, they compare this if you compare this to the DJ, which is their Wyoming portion of the DJ. They have 200 premium locations and only 88,000 acres. So obviously, um, a lot more acreage for far less premium drillable inventory. But I believe that could change through. um organic delineation that they do now horizontal production for EOG is roughly 30,000 barrels per day with 239 wells now they have sort of similar when I'm looking at the rough decline curves on dueling info that's a a similar profile for um, we haven't seen any major step changes but we do have consistent well results Um, they in 2017 they had 33 wells in the Turner 5 in the Parkman 2 in the Niobrara um and 3 in the frontier. And if we look at how they talk about this play and I think that's important is that they specifically in you know, it's within their investor presentations um they're one of the premier shale operators in the US. Um and they talk about it within their in their confer- in their recent conference call. So they said, the Powder River Basin has become a core asset for EOG. We amassed 400,000 acres following the merger with Yates in late 2016, and we are consistently drilling low-cost, moderate-decline wells that compete with the best in the company. Last year, we stepped up activity, completing 39 net wells, nine more than our initial plan. Completed well costs for an 8,000-foot lateral drop 10%, helping drive returns in the Powder River Basin that are highly competitive with returns from our largest premium asset, the Eagle Ford and Delaware Basin. So they expect to do 45 net wells in 2018, targeting a well cost of $4.5 million. That is That um is that's extremely low for the well cost that we've seen in this basin since we know that some folks are well above 10 million so that's that'd be very impressive if they can do that on a consistent basis they also talk about blocking up acreage testing spacing and mapping uh the basin's mild deep column of pay to delineate acreage that is per- perspective for various targets so they continue to see significant premium inventory potential in the powder river basin as i mentioned and i really think you have to think about if they didn't sell this in the downturn i don't think they're going to i think they might core up and they have a, they have a massive acreage position so I think you could see them potentially sell some off but I don't think the premium stuff at least for now is going anywhere okay now if we switch gears and we look at Devon Devon is producing 19,000 barrels a day um this is horizontal production again roughly 214 wells in 2017 they really targeted the Parkman with seven wells and the teapot in five okay so Devon Now, what did Devin say within their earnings call? I think they're in a much more unique position than EOG. They definitely don't talk about this as a core asset um, and specifically mention the word coy with regards to talking about this. So if you look at their investor slide deck, it's it's in the appendix that they talk about the Rockies. And I don't necessarily think that means too much because uh, their investor deck is a little bit unique right now. But they have a slide on the Rockies as an emerging, they call it an emerging oil growth asset. And they have some some great, obviously, as I told you, they have some really killer Parkman Wells that came online last year that are very, very impressive. But the way they talk about this and their investor um, in their fourth quarter earnings call, they had a question from... Um, Doug Leggett from Bank of America Merrill Lynch With regards to the powder And his the, the response, Devin's response Was that specifically in regard to the powder We like the opportunities We're drilling there in the Turner We see some potential there in the Niber as well And we're going to be drilling some wells there We think there's a good growth opportunity But again, it is not going to reach the scale of the stack and the Delaware. So I'm not going to get any more specific than just to describe the obviously, the two most important are the stack in Delaware. And he's specifically talking with regards about divestitures. So he's not saying that they're gonna divest it, but at the same time, it's not necessarily a core asset. Um, And it sort of sounds like they're in the mode to develop this and then spin it off later. And he says, I'm not going to try to be coy on this call, but we're trying to maximize the value that we can get. So clearly, this is a this is a, the name of the game for them is to prove, I, I, in my opinion, I think to prove this up and then to sell it off at some point. But I don't think they're quite there yet. Okay, so for Chesapeake, I think things are a little bit different. It's like a little the picture is a little bit more cloudy for Chesapeake. There was no slide in their fourth quarter earnings call on on the Powder River Basin. And if you recall from some previous quarters, they used to have some slides in there that said we like. Um, slash love the the Powder River Basin and I used to love those slides, but those haven't been in there for a little bit and that doesn't mean they're not they haven't been actively drilling or anything. Those has just sort of been moved and as we know Chesapeake is going through a lot of um, has gone through a lot of volatility and they continue to sell off some assets, um, but at the same time the Powder River, River Basin. Uh, Poses a a really core opportunity for for oil development for them. Now their production profile for horizontal wells is a lot less. It's like 800 barrels per day that we're seeing. About 200 wells. We didn't see outstanding performance looking at their decline curves, but they have some really really impressive wells, and a lot of folks note a, a few of them that are that are absolutely great um, and have huge and huge completion jobs that usually uh, accompany them. Last year they targeted. 10 wells in the Sussex, 5 in the Niobrara, 3 in the Parkman, 2 in the Turner, and 1 in the Mowry. So they're they're obviously all over the map in terms of, um, and I don't think that's a bad thing, they're obviously testing and delineating a lot of different benches as opposed to just targeting one formation. But specifically with regards to the targets um, and looking at what they're emphasizing, and what you hear Devin talk about emphasizing the Turner, um, you hear Chesapeake saying the same things. So specifically in their, well those were the 2017 wells, specifically In the earnings call, they talk directly about focusing on the Turner. So they say, what you're going to see in 2018 basically is a Turner-focused program in the powder. We are getting wells down faster and cheaper. Every time we go out, we're tweaking the completion and getting those costs down. So it's becoming more and more competitive every day. So they have three rigs running, and they expect to move that to four. And basically, they talk about a lot of formations and a lot of potential, but that they're going to focus right now on the Turner because that gives them the greatest economic value right now. And then if you look at their most recent earnings, or I'm sorry, if you look at their most recent investor presentation, they have like four slides on the Powder River Basin, which I think is very, I mean, it's notable that they're emphasizing it. So they talk about extending laterals, the batch drilling, slim hole casing design, drilling days going from 60 plus uh, down to 21, optimizing their cluster spacing design, more efficient simulation operations, etc. And they talk about the Powder River being growing to a core asset and being an oil growth engine and ramping up that rig activity. So I think that's important when you're thinking about what Chesapeake is doing. Yes, they may sell this in the future like Devon, but at the time, this is going to be focused potentially as a core asset. And obviously that could change anytime and, and that could be flipped. But um, the fact that they're pushing the development mode bodes bodes well for overall delineation and, and production. Now, with all that being said, I, I think that we can see that both Devon and Chesapeake have a different financial profile than EOG. And those are potentially, up, both of those assets are potentially up for sale. We know that Liberty's resources are potentially up for sale. We know that other operators have come to the market and have not fetched prices that they wanted uh, so that they, they basically have pulled them off. So right now, theoretically, there's a lot up for sale in the powder that hasn't actually sold. And we know that a lot of folks are out there basically developing developing this play to flip it. So essentially, more acid delineation needs to take place and this this play needs to be proved up before it can really um, come to fruition. Now obviously, I mean, I like this play. so. In conclusion, the pros and cons of this, I think that there you have some really impressive well performance, and you have multiple you have multiple reservoirs where you've seen some very impressive well performance. Yes, the costs have been high. I think it's very important to look at the lateral lengths um, and look at the completion jobs and see how large these completion jobs are i don't think there's been a whole lot of intense completions and really um, holding variables constant and seeing which factors are are Um, improving these wells and which factors are not so have we seen a ton of completion jobs that are using lots of hundred mesh um, maybe a little larger sand at the end or a little larger propping at the end and potentially less fluid i'm not sure i i I haven't heard about it i haven't seen it but then again we don't have we don't have these operators walking around telling everybody what their completion jobs look like but the point is i think you you've tended to see less um given this play is is in still in its infancy, you've seen obviously much smaller completion jobs than you've seen a lot of other plays. Um, and also when you're looking at the the profile of these, how much money these operators are spending and stuff, there's going to be some hesitancy to overspend. So that's going to need to happen to delineate. And so that that sort of for me bodes well for the play. Um, and I think it could be very exciting when we start seeing some of those very impressive completions take place. The concerns really here are the well costs and the time to sell. I mean, some of these guys, I mean, have actually wanted to sell and couldn't. I think that's because they're obviously asking way too high a price and these assets haven't been really delineated. And there's theoretically quite a bit on the market, so that could be a problem. The pros really are that this is a geologic play. This is exciting and that there's multiple benches here. Very, I think the the true understanding of all these, where they're located, who has them, what is the um What is the great spots of the Niobrara versus the Parkman? I mean, we can see that we can see on a map where we sort of have a sliver that in the middle of the basin that's sort of the Parkman, and we see great wells in the Turner with a lot of these operators. Um, and we can see that when we're mapping it, that the Niobrara looks extensive, but we haven't seen a whole lot of well results on that. I think the other side is that with the right teams, um, when we're talking about a geologic play like this, if you have the right teams on this um, with technical capacity, um, this could be really really exciting. And I'm not sure that. You know, up to this point, you've had just this play full of incredible crack teams um, with the best technical skills in the business. I just don't think that's taken place because a lot of these operators um, have assets elsewhere um, and they're they're busy doing other things. API and GOR, I think both are really important. When you look at the API spattering, um it's it's pretty wide and you have buckets, obviously you have different areas with different tranches, but I think it's really important to understand when we're thinking about the types of completions, um looking at the API and looking at the GOR and looking at well interference and understanding how that all works. Uh- So that's my take on the Powder River Basin. Obviously, I sort of have a crush on it, a little bit like Chesapeake's old slides with the um, I crossing out the like and putting the heart in. I do love the Powder River Basin. I do think there's a lot of upside, and I look forward to continuing to talk about it on these podcasts um, and with my clients and with with you all that are listening. So thank you so much for listening today. Have a wonderful day, and I'll speak with you all soon.